Okay, welcome back to the latest United podcast where Larry joins me finally again. And I did see Larry on Monday and we were supposed to record a podcast. But um, as I was about to approach Larry to press record, he was face deep in a bucket of popcorn. How are you, Larry? Yeah, I'm good, mate. Um, the now infamous photo of me ripping my hand into that box of popcorn. i got to say, um, almost as salty as Liverpool fans this morning. Well, the Liverpool reaction, yes, we'll definitely get into that. But on that bucket of popcorn, which was very good, I did smash out two uh, medium popcorns. But um, we obviously were at the premiere, the Australian premiere of the United Way, um, the film I'm sure everyone has seen and obviously narrated by Eric Cantona. First of all, Eric Cantona, he can tell a story, can't he? He really can. But can I rewind a little bit? Did you just say you had two boxes of that popcorn? Well, I had one and I started on a second. I, I have to be honest, I didn't, I didn't get through the second one. I think my wife, Jeanette, had a few um, helping handfuls. Oh, Tom, mate. You, you, you... Look, man, I know you don't play football that often, but you've got to watch that waistline. Be careful. At your old age, the metabolism starts to slow down, so please do be careful. But uh, um, back on the, the movie, um, yeah, it, it was excellent. And Eric Cantona can tell a story. His poetic nature and, and his... his his passion for poetry does come through um, on the film. I don't want to ruin it for those who haven't watched it. Um, but look, I, I thought it was excellent. I, I really enjoyed the way he, he told the story. In particular, in the really emotional moments, he he portrays the emotion of the situation really well. It's amazing how good it was and how was it action-packed, but how while it was crammed, it was a good crammed. It wasn't like they skipped over anything. But there was so much into it. There has to be a part two because, look, again, don't want to spoil it for anyone, but it culminates and finishes pretty much at the treble after Solskjaer's goal. And obviously that's half the story. Like We had such a successful period after that. So surely there is going to be a part two to this film. Oh, look, I, I have no doubt about it. Um, and Manchester United's got such a rich history. It would almost be an injustice to take up to, say, Sir Alex's tenure at the club um, all in one film I think there's a, a story to be told um, th- there was the two-part piece you know I guess Sir Alex's initial takeover of the sleeping giant and what we now know as United's most successful period in their history so I, I was happy with how the film I guess was detailed when, when you see the initial advertisement or the trailer for the film you were concerned it was how how they're going to condense this into an hour and a half so i was i was quite pleased with how it was told yeah very good and moving on to saw sort of more modern times i think the the film kind of was a little bit poetic as you say it finishes with him walking off the stage like in a huge theater like an indoor theater walks off the stage as the movie finishes and just as we do that, we're walking out of the cinema and news comes through that our current number seven, um, Edison Cavani, has finally signed his new one-year contract. Um, it topped off a pretty good evening. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, we, you know, we were discussing it. it. Well, it's been, when I say we, I mean on this podcast, I feel like I've been almost booted by you, Tom. But um, we, we've gone on at length to say Cavani really needed to resign, And I think given the current financial market, and I, I know we're probably a bit brain dead about talking about it, but that's the reality of it. Um, I think it's a good signing. Bloody hell, how good's Cavani been? And I almost want to ask you now, if you look at the impact that Zlatan Ibrahimovic had, um, both free transfers from PSG, both, you know, well into their 30s, um, short-term deals, obviously, 
you, you got to say the the nature of Cavani's tenure at United, like he's just you've fallen in love with him in a way that you couldn't with Zlatan, and that's no disrespect to what the Swede did at Manchester United. I just think Cavani, for me, is a United player. He just you can tell he embodies the fans. He plays with a passion, and I can't wait to see him play in front of a crowd. I think it would have been a, a true tragedy if he didn't get that opportunity. Yeah, look, I definitely don't want to, and I know you, I know you're not doing this, but I definitely don't want to take away from what Zlatan did in that 16-17 season. I think he's fantastic, and maybe it's a little bit of recency bias with a lot of us in terms of our love for Edison Cavani and sort of saying, oh, he was better than Zlatan. I think you do have to go back and sort of look at the goals, and obviously Zlatan was key in us winning two trophies. And Cavani, well, hopefully he does, but we haven't won that trophy yet. So, um, But there is something about Cavani that's just different. I'm not sure what it is, whether it's the seven shirt that plays a big part in it. I'm not quite sure, but there is something that just, just something about that type of striker who who just lives, breathes goals, and he gives everything for the cause. And and I think the main thing which has made him sort of warm to fans is he's proven a lot of people wrong, not just in the media and not so, so much as rivals, but also in our own fan base, he's proved many wrong. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you only have to look at his goal return in the last, I want to say, two-month period. I think the start of it was the Tottenham match. Um, that's where he's had that two goal return. And since that period, I remember, Tom, if, if you can think back to our review of the Tottenham game, uh, we did mention, did United almost not change their style, but have they tweaked the style to play to Cavani's strengths? You felt there was a little bit of a change. I felt we were, we played quite direct at times, uh, previous to that match. Whereas the Tottenham game, you felt we were happy to play to an edge to get the ball into Cavani. Um, and I think we've seen that transition when he's played um, since ever since. Um, and I think in that, you've seen the trajectory in his performances. His goal return, is it something like eight or nine goals? I think his, his goals to games, his goals is actually better than his games at the moment since the Tottenham game. So th- there's something to say to that. I think he's just got to the stage where he's worked his way in to being our first choice striker. I think when he first arrived whether this was a quarantine issue or a fitness issue or adapting to English English football, who knows. But it, there was no clear number nine, number nine for us. Was it Martial? Was it Rashford? Cavani wasn't quite fitting in at the time. He was playing well but wasn't getting the goals, so he was sort of starting off the bench and coming on. Was it Mason Greenwood? Was he going to be the number nine? And there was, sort of everyone was sort of in and out of the team. Everyone was playing well, but it wasn't quite clicking. And now Cavani has found his form, maybe off the back of Anthony Martial's injury, not quite sure, but... Now Cavani is our number nine. And I think when your team has a focal point, your team naturally plays better. And I, I think that sort of a lot of that does come down to sort of Cavani's form, which um, is very good. But we will go back on to reviewing, not reviewing, but we usually do a podcast after every single game, but we didn't after the Aston Villa match, um, which feels like two months ago, but it wasn't too long ago. <laughs> Rewind your memory. It wasn't a bad performance. I quite enjoyed it. Obviously, we started very well, and then they put one in the top corner, and you thought, oh, my God, here we go. But, um, again, away from home, go to, go 1-0 down, and United turn it on. Uh, the first 10 minutes of that football match is some of the best football I think I saw from United this season. Um, we were unlucky to not score in those early exchanges, and then, obviously, Aston Villa get the goal. Um, a bit of comedy, um, can we call it that, from Fred and Lindelof. I thought both were at equal at fault. Um, but in typical United fashion this season, it's been a regular theme. We seem to, you know, we don't put our heads down. Uh, Pogba becomes a greater influence in the second half um, as well. I think that that was key and United turn it on um, and get the goals. 
Um, we'll obviously talk about Mason Greenwood in, in the context of the Leicester match, but um, the, the way he takes his finish to put United ahead at Aston Villa, um, you know, really world-class quality. He is now becoming known for that uh, almost an early shot. Um, I don't know if that's the right terminology. He doesn't flex his leg back, does he? He just takes the shot early. Everyone talks about that, and yes, completely right in terms of the technique, but it's not that it's... The, the correct shot there is to curl it to the far post. Absolutely. And he has this knack of going through the player's legs into that near post. And this one, it was that perfect Greenwood position where the goalkeeper is probably thinking, okay, he's going to shape to the far post, but he's going to go near post. So the near post was almost the obvious shot when you saw it fell to, in terms of the position Mason Greenwood took up. But then when you're thinking that, Greenwood's obviously thinking, well, the goalkeeper's probably done his homework. He knows what I'm going to do. So he still sends the goalkeeper pack into the far post and knows exactly what he's going to do and puts it to the near post. And it's just one of those things. It's like a different situation. Arjen Robin almost, he used to do the opposite. He used to always go to the far post. But mm. when Arjen Robin used to cut in on his left foot, you knew what he was going to do. Every defender in the world knew what he was going to do, but you couldn't stop it. And Greenwood gets in that position. The defender and the goalkeeper knows what's going to happen. And they just can't stop it. I think... Look, we might as well, I guess, you know, we don't have to be super structured with this. Let's talk about Mason's goal today. Because I think you, that's the evolution of the player. I think what's so brilliant about Mason... and I'll use a and um, Robin as a, as a comparison because you did... I can understand why you've used Robin. Um, the difference with Mason is you can see he's starting now to add those points of differences to his game. Uh, the way he cut through the defence today, by the way, yeah. was absolutely majestic. And it actually was the first glimpse of what... And I'm keen to see what you think, Tom. It, for me, that was the first glimpse of us seeing him playing as a genuine number nine. Uh, the ability to get through defenders because he has the awareness, but he also has the ability to dribble past players. Um, and that finish today was ridiculous. And, and it just goes to show he does have that ability. Ian Robin, he knew, you know, he's going to cut in, but the way he moved his body has the, had a tendency to beat the defender and then give himself the space for that far shot. Mason has the ability, because he can pull off just about every shot when it comes to his feet, he has the ability to assess where the goalkeeper is before he takes the shot because he's so clinical. Um, his actual ability, he'll hit, he'll hit the target nine times out of ten. It's just about giving him the space to do so. Um, yeah, what he can be, the thought of it is tr- truthfully frightening. Yeah, no, look, couldn't agree more. And we'll definitely get into, well, we haven't even discussed the Leicester match sort of as a whole, but um, plenty more Greenwood talk, I assume. And um, well, we'll get into, obviously, plenty of the Europa League previews. But a lot of the team selection will be around Harry Maguire's fitness for the Europa League. But I think the main one now, Cavani will pick himself up front. It'll mm. be interesting that Rashford and Greenwood, who who plays, um, whether they fit both into the team. You can't see a situation where Solskjaer doesn't pick Marcus Rashford from the start. However, Mason Greenwood, um, I think he's performing, or not think, I know, Mason Greenwood is performing better than Marcus Rashford at the moment. So it will be interesting to see how we line up because the Paul Pog was likely going to play on the left. So where does Marcus Rashford play? But again, a debate for another time, which I'm sure we'll have plenty of. But look, on the Villa game, um, I thought we'll just praise Mason Greenwood for the Leicester match, but he did play very well against Villa. Very good goal. 3-2-1. I'm going to test my memory here. (laughs) Wan-Bissaka, I thought, was very good against Aston Villa. I thought it was fantastic. Um, But for me... Paul Pogba is my man of the match. Um, he, he gets the penalty. I think Pogba's influence in the second half was telling. Um, and I, I don't think United go on to win that football match if Paul Pogba is not on the pitch. So 
Yep, totally agree with you on Wan-Bissaka. Uh, for me, two points uh, for the Englishman. Um, only because I thought Paul Pogba was integral to the result. Whereas Wan-Bissaka contributed, but I don't think he was the difference. Yeah, no, look, I wouldn't disagree with that. I think the word you used there is the right one, in- influential. Especially in that first half, I thought they just couldn't deal with Pogba. And it was just a shame that they did end up putting one in the top corner. But um, yeah, definitely Pogba for three points, um, two for Wan-Bissaka and... Go on, one point. Um, remind me who was um, on form that day. Uh, I thought I actually thought Fred. I know he was at fault yeah. for the first goal, but his engine in the midfield was phenomenal for me. Yeah, no, from memory, he, he did do quite well. And it, it's a tough job against Aston Villa. They're, they're a tricky team to play against. So like, players like John McGinn, there's a Douglas Lewis in there. And um, yeah, you know I, what, Tom? I was happy with Fred in there. I um, thought Rashford was actually maybe one of his better games. He didn't really stand out, but he sort of... Kept in simple, but um, yeah, I yeah. wouldn't be opposed to giving Fred the points for that one. Um, we're going to obviously talk about the Leicester match, but if you look at the nature of the first goal we conceded against Leicester, you can see what Fred actually does bring to the football side. And I, I do think that, you know, he, he look, he obviously has his faults, but I think without him, it's sometimes when you pull a player out of a side where you can actually see what they do bring. So, yeah, has his faults? Absolutely. Do we need to upgrade? Absolutely. But, yeah, I thought Fred was phenomenal. All right. So, three two ones for the Villa game, which we will add to the list, were Pogba, Juan Bissaka, and Fred. Okay, now moving on to the Leicester City match. Now, there are so, so many talking points in regards to this Leicester City match. But the first thing I want to start off with um, is it only clocked a few hours after full-time. It didn't really occur to me. I think that shows how sort of insignificant it, the whole thing was. But Manchester City have won the title. And like everyone, just sort of shrugged my shoulders and get on with my day. And there was sort of, I don't know if it's funny, I I think it's funny. But like I alluded to at the start of the podcast, my wife Jeanette, she's she's Greek and has obviously a big Greek family. I'm telling you, there's more people at her family barbecue than were at the Etihad Stadium celebrating the title. Embarrassing, mate. Um, I just, I, I don't think... Look, we can banter Manchester City all day. I honestly, it's they're, they're that irrelevant that it's not even worth bantering. I think we just leave it at that. Well, do you think that's why it doesn't really look? We when Liverpool won it last year, you, we have to admit it hurt. There's no hiding from the fact we didn't enjoy it. It hurt. It stung. But do you think that's why? Because of the City fan base, do you think that's why you see those? I say scenes. You see the the few people outside the Etihad. That's why it doesn't really hurt because. United will put out a transfer story. They'll put out a Jaden Sancho story tomorrow and that'll be the back page, not the images of Man City celebrating. Well, Man City won the league. Have you opened English tabloids, gone to their websites? No mention of it. It's all about Manchester United played a week inside. They should be docked points. Liverpool didn't make the Champions League. That's what the news is about. No one cares. Well, Well, yeah, completely agree. And we'll go on to that point in terms of the... Potentially the punishment for us fielding a so-called, or not so-called, fielding a weaker side. And there's this call Talk Sport and Trevor Sinclair saying we should be docked points and we should be punished. I'm telling you what the punishment should be. Please. Losing the football match, that was our punishment. We fielded a weaker side, we lost, lost the football match. That's the punishment. Yeah, mate, look, I, I totally agree with you. And the reality is, Manchester United didn't cost Liverpool the Champions League. Liverpool cost Liverpool the Champions League. If you weren't good enough that you had to rely on other results around you to achieve an outcome, sorry, you just didn't cut the mustard. That's not Manchester United's problem. The The result of the fixture list 
was it Manchester United fans' fault? No, I say it's the Glazers' fault. So as far as I'm concerned, we call it even. Liverpool are shit. Manchester United are in the Champions League. You reap what you sow. That's it. Yeah, no, hard to argue. I think, look, a lot will come out. And look, I think it's quite uh, poetic and quite quite fitting that our next game in two days is against Liverpool. And um, while Liverpool, technically they still have a chance at top four, but obviously extremely unlikely now. It'll be interesting how they, you know, the fans can't play for you. So it'll be interesting how the players react compared to the fans. But United will obviously go full strength in terms of, that's quite evident in terms of Solskjaer's team selection against Leicester. It'll be interesting the attitude of the Liverpool players, whether they they kind of feel a little bit hard done by it or they approach the game thinking, geez, our season's done, there's no point. It'll be a really interesting dynamic, which I think we'll know after the first four or five minutes of the match. But um, on the Leicester match, like we didn't re- review the Aston Villa match and I don't want to go too deep into the Leicester match mm. because obviously we have lost. But I say that in terms of the City title, we're not really hurting us. And the beautiful reaction online in terms of the Liverpool fans and the media outrage over our weakened side. I want to pose the question to you. Is this the most... I'm not, not sure what the word is. Whether acceptable, Yeah, the most satisfying loss of all time? Yeah, I think so, mate. I, 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 in the context of the season, I wouldn't have been upset if we lost anyway. Um, I don't think United played badly. I mean, Leicester went full strength and United just lost. Um, so... And I think on another day, United easily could win that game, to be honest. I, I thought the better side did win. Um, but, you know, you have to look at what we put out there. You know, It was legitimately a second-string side. I think that's the weaker side we've played this season. Well, I go back, and you make that point in regards to Leicester full strength. And I always use Leicester as the example when I bring this point up. But I say, even if we were playing our full strength 11, so you include Scott McTominay and Fred in there, we look at the Leicester City midfield and we say, we should buy that player, we should buy that player, we should buy that player. And in the three players are Tillemans and Didi and James Madison. All three players are going to cost 70, 80, 90 million pounds. And there's no surprise when they beat our strongest 11, let alone our weaker 11. So, yeah, in terms of, and I haven't seen too much outrage from the United fan base, but I'm sure there has been a little bit. But yeah, I think we see these big games. It's a big game when we play City. It's a big game when we play Liverpool, Tottenham, Chelsea, Arsenal, those teams. Leicester City are above those teams. We have to treat Leicester with a lot of respect. Okay, they don't have the name, but they've won the Premier League a lot more recently than us. And they're a good team always in and around the top spots. And look, they have played a strong team and beaten us, beaten our weaker team. So yeah, no real outrage. No, totally agree there, mate. I, honestly, I've got, I got nothing to add there. Um, I've got to say... And I'm not going to go too hard on them because you need match rhythm. Totally appreciate that. The defense was shambolic. Um, and I, I do want to say, I thought Tuan Zabi is the one who comes out better out of the centre-back partnership there. And I wouldn't be against Solskjaer, mate. I'm just saying, if Harry Maguire wasn't fit for the Europa League final, I would actually feel more comfortable with Tuan Zabi in the heart of that defense rather than Eric Bailly. I think he showed today for me that... As a, as, in terms of his technical ability as a footballer, I think Eric Bay is fantastic. But I don't think he's got the football intelligence to read a situation around him, nor do I think, as the senior member in that defence today, I think he had a real opportunity to put his hand up, and I think he failed miserably. Yeah, no, look, it definitely looked like a... Well, definitely looked like... Factually, it was. But it looked like a second-string back four. I think we'll, we'll criticise Maguire and Lindelof at times as a partnership... But you can see why there. Well, you can see why it's our main partnership. 
Um, because they are sadly, or I don't say sadly, but a step above. And, and look at, again, a little bit hard done by the players who did come in. They came into a one, they don't have any match rhythm, so they're not quite match fit, and they are c- coming into a completely changed side. Mm. So, I, yeah, I don't think anyone's going to be too critical of them. But like Josh said on the last podcast, when you do get your chance, it is Manchester United in the highest level. So even if the cards are dealt against you, you do have to perform and take your chance. But you just mentioned to and Zabi, the one thing that stuck out for me, I want to get my sort of weekly moan about referees out of the way. See, Axel to and Zabi, referees will stop the game and make sure you have the right colour tape on your socks and they'll make sure you're not wearing skins under your shorts. They didn't check Axel to and Zabi, he was wearing a watch. Yeah, what's what's the crack with that? Didn't have his GPS vest on. He wanted a, he's got competing with his mates, needs to hit his six hundred points on activity app. Yeah, I'm not sure. Look, we'll get into Twins Avi's performance if you want to, or just what you mentioned there, but that was the biggest talking point for me, how the referees haven't haven't spotted that. But um just just on those players who didn't really take their chance, I look at Donny van der Beek who we've discussed uh, discussed last week with Josh, as I just said. Mm. The circumstances aren't ideal when he comes in, and we all fully agree and fully accept that. But again, didn't didn't do enough. I thought one matter. I thought he was poor, and that's tough for me to say. But I thought it was one of one matter's sort of worst performances. And I, I say that in regards to not a physical thing, where a lot of people say, "Oh, okay, that performance, he's lost his legs. Get rid of him." It was nothing to do with that for me. It was a a quality thing of one matter. To, I think he's given the ball away, which he doesn't usually do. And it was a case. Sometimes I felt a little bit hard. He, Sort of, he was a little bit sort of unfortunate. I saw it sometimes he had the ball, and you, you could see he was thinking play this pass, and it was a player like Ahmad or Anthony Alanga was making a completely different run, and one matter got caught in two or three minds and chose mm. the wrong option. Yeah. Um. And look, ultimately that comes down to one matter. He's the one who made the mistake. But um. Yeah, I thought he was poor. I thought the only player, if we refer it to a discussion around who's going to sort of give Ole Gunnar Solskjaer a selection headache for the Europa League final. Look, the back four and Tuanze and Bay, obviously that's a discussion in regards to Harry Maguire's fitness. Mm-hmm. But let's say Harry Maguire's fit. The only player I saw really stand out, and look, it might not even matter. He could have scored a hat-trick and it won't make a difference because I think Solskjaer will go for McTominay and Fred in the Europa League final. But Nemanja Matic, he ran the show. Yeah, totally agree, mate. He, for me, best player on the pitch. I, I thought he played really well. Yeah, no, I thought he's brilliant. And look, I, I've praised him a lot in recent weeks. And... Um, yeah, I think, look, just a shame. And look, we have had Demandy Matic for a few years now. He has been around a while at United. But um, yeah, it's just a shame when you see that performance and you see the limitations of the partnership between McTominay and Fred. You just wish, God, if we had Demandy Matic and he was 10 years younger, if we were just signing a prime Matic now, he'd almost be the perfect player in that role. Not almost. He definitely would be the perfect player right now. It's a shame because when he comes in, he shows the quality. I think he obviously can't... He's not as mobile as he once was. You say he can't get around the pitch the way he probably used to. Um, but he, in terms of his football intelligence, he, the way he can control the tempo of a football match, is first class. It is a shame, Tom, but look, I, I think... Can I throw... A, just, I've thought of this now, and I know it might sound a little bit out of left field, would Nemanja Matic in the heart of the defence be the craziest thing in the world if Maguire wasn't fit? That's what I was saying on Twitter to a few people. And, I, yes, it does sound stupid, so I don't want to scream it too loud. If I had... Look, if Harry Maguire's out, I think Eric Bailly plays in, in there. My preference would be Tu and Zabi. However, with that risk of Tu and Zabi, if he doesn't want to go Eric Bailly and the risk of Tu and Zabi, yeah, I probably would, have, would opt for Nemanja Matic next to Lindelof. And, again, that's not ideal, but... 
look, against Villarreal, I can't see them sort of peppering the back four for 90 minutes. So I don't think it's going to be sort of Nemanja Matic having to turn around and get sort of defending the pocket sort of thing. I think you could leave that to Lindelof. Yeah, look, I think, yeah, it's a long shot that's definitely not going to happen. But, yeah, maybe... Look, I, I just feel so hypocritical because at the start of the season, both you and I were sitting here screaming for Eric Bailly to play. And now we're here at the end of the season going, how can we stop Eric Bailly playing? How can we get... Uh, but, but that's not our fault. That, that's Eric. That's Eric Bailly's fault. I think I've come to this conclusion because I'm with you, Tom. And at the start of the season, I'll happily put my hand up and say I was calling for him to start instead of Lindelof. But the mark of a, a good centre back for me, I just think today was a real opportunity for him. If, in my opinion, he was the leader of that defence. I mean, it's clear he's the most seasoned professional in that back line. He's it was the one with the longest tenure at Manchester United. He should have been the leader. You look at the positions he occupied in terms of the goal. The second goal wasn't his fault. But you look at that first goal, that's just a lack of communication. That's just you not telling players where they should be. Um, midfield has co- tried to compensate. I think it was Matic tried to compensate for Tuan Zabi. Tellez was gone. Then Bayes just marking nobody. It, like th- That was absolutely fresh air. It was a good finish by the Leicester winger, but just no communication there. And I just think that was an opportunity. You look at the shots they had, by the way. Few hit the post. I just thought he was a shambles. Well, look, the, the centre-back debate will sort of carry on over the next week or two while we sort of wait on Harry Maguire's fitness. He obviously was on crutches. Now, being on crutches does look a lot worse than what it was. I'm sure that's just extremely precautionary, making sure he doesn't put any weight on his foot, um, giving him the best possible chance to be fit. But, yeah, Harry Maguire's fitness, he's had a lot of critics um, this season or since he arrived at Old Trafford. But I think now all these critics are sort of holding their breath and hoping he is fit for the final. But um, we might as well just quickly go into 3 2 ones. We won't speak over the match too much. Mm. We did the 3 2 ones for the Aston Villa one. But um, look, I think we just both sat here and agreed it'll be Nemanja Matic for three points. Yeah, no debate for me. And again, you mentioned that in the Aston Villa match, but I thought Greenwood again was probably the best shout for two points. I thought well, we discussed his goal earlier. But um, yeah, he's just been effective and. and I don't know what the word is, but just just good. He's been very good lately, and like I said, and we'll discuss the Europa League later or, mm. or on a later podcast. For me, he starts on the right. If Paul Pogba starts on the left, I think um, Marcus Rashford should be dropped to the bench for the final, and it's Mason Greenwood. Mate, big call. I, I know that probably won't happen, but let's say McTominay and Fred play in the middle, which will happen. Mm. Bruno's going to play ahead of them, which will happen. Paul Pogba's not going to be on the bench in the Europa League final, so he plays on the left. Who's your choice? Cavani plays up front. That's settled. Who, who do you play on the right? Marcus Rashford or Mason Greenwood? I would go... You know what, Tom? I think I agree with you, mate. I would go with Mason at, on current form, but it will be Rashford. There's not a chance in the world he's going to start Mason over Rashford. Yeah, It's an interesting one because Greenwood, the performance... You're completely right. I can't see a world where he drops Marcus Rashford for the final. But the performances and the effect or the impact Greenwood's having, it's got to be near impossible for Greenwood not to play. Yeah, I take your point, but I'll put it to you another way. I think who's more impactful off the bench or who can bring a greater impact off the bench? For mm. me, it's Mason Greenwood. And I think if you need a point of difference, or particularly a goal, I think Mason's the one you do want to look to to bring that impact. I think Marcus, naturally, you know, you look at his pace, his ability on the ball... He looks to me like someone who's carrying an injury. I feel a bit bad for Marcus. I think he, 
Yeah, he's obviously not a right winger. He looks a bit uncomfortable when he's played out there. He can do a job there, but he's clearly a left winger. He's been moved around to accommodate the strengths of other players. And I guess that's a testament to Marcus. Um, But ultimately, if you're going on form, it should be Mason. But I guess we'll see, mate. But yeah, I don't see it happening. Yeah, it will be interesting. But um, okay, that were the two points. For one point, I thought, and we haven't really discussed, we maybe should have, but obviously Anthony Alenka, congratulations to him, made his debut. Mm. For one player we haven't discussed, and I thought he should have because it was kind of a big deal. We've been calling it for probably the last six months. But Diallo, um, young Ahmed, got a start and yeah. performed well, got the assist. And look, not a man of match performance, didn't set the world on fire, but was good. He looks a quality player. Yeah, I think he'll be a first-team player. Um, I think next season, hopefully, he'll get, you know, be embedded into the first team a little bit more. But, yeah, I'm with you, mate. I think, you know, if you get an assist um, in the only goal that we score in the match, yeah, definitely something to say that, yeah, he had an impact on the results. So, I think Diallo, for one point, is the right call. No, easy. And we'll quickly just go over the Facebook comments after the Leicester match. Um, Emma goes three for Matic, two for Greenwood, and one for Tellers. Yeah, out of the back four, I thought Tellers was probably maybe the stand, not standout, but um, yeah, the best performer. Mm. George says, always nice when City can't enjoy the excitement of winning the league on their own terms. Three for Greenwood, two for Matic, and one for Diallo. Elliot says, three for Greenwood, two for Matic, one for Tellers. Two club heroes in one matter, and David De Gea played the 90 minutes. With ultimate respect, I know which one I think needs to move on. Um, I think he's probably alluding to... My guy, um, one matter there, but um, Rob has also gone three for Greenwood, two for Matic, and one for Diallo. So um, I'd be keeping Matter over Diallo. We won't we won't give the scores for the three or the overall leaderboard for the three two ones. But I'm telling you, it is very very interesting, and I think a lot of people will be very surprised on who is leading that ladder. Yeah, I think they will be. Um, in fact. Well, you know what? I, I don't think I, I should really... <laughs> I won't add any more commentary to it. Let's just wait and see at the end of the season. Um, but um, you know what, Tom? We haven't really discussed it. Uh, I guess... Um, I've got to say, David De Gea, uh, particularly in the the match against Roma, um, really put a good case forward, didn't he? Um, I thought he, his actual shot-stopping was back. That that was the David De Gea of old. Yeah, definitely. Well, he, he starts the... Well, the big game now, well, the only game that matters for the rest of the season is the Europa League final. And uh, look, okay, Paul Pogba, Bruno Fernandes, yes, yes, their first names on the team sheet. But for me, with the potential of David De Gea leaving at the end of the season, David De Gea is the first name on the team sheet for me in that Europa League final. You think so? You don't? He, he, he has to be. I, I think his performance is warranted. Mm. I think he's been better than Dean Henderson this year, and that's not a criticism of Dean Henderson. Do he's you actually? Yeah, I think he has. I, I think the overreaction at the start of the season... Um, was way over the top and you just look at that performance against Roma we're not in the Europa League final without David Day alright Tom but let me put it to you another way if that is the case why has Solskjaer opted to make Dean Henderson his number one yeah no look you're definitely right I definitely wouldn't wouldn't have Dean Henderson as number one again not a criticism of him I just think David De Gea is better but I look at, at potential reasoning for Solskjaer um, choosing that direction is you do have to look at the market and there does need to be a decision made. Even I disagree with selling David De Gea. You have to can only have one of these guys. One of them has to leave. And David De Gea is an asset. And if he is someone we can get off the wage bill, I'm not saying this in a bad way, but if he's someone we can get a bit of a transfer fee for and get his 350k off the wage bill, um, look, 
you have to make that decision and he, he might have made okay Dean Henderson's going to be my keeper next year mm. and we can get a little bit of money for David De Gea my, this is just my opinion obviously I'm not in Ole, Solskjaer, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's mind um, I think David De Gea is a better goalkeeper than Dean Henderson but Dean Henderson makes the defence seem a bit more calm I think and you and I can't, I can't say David De Gea is at fault for any of the goals today. But you can definitely see, if you just look at from our, our defence and the nature of the goals we're conceding, particularly at set pieces, compared to once Henderson's come in, I think you've seen that commentary around the, um, the, the conceding at the set pieces has really dropped off. I don't know if that's a communication thing. I don't know if that's, a, for whatever reason, a, a better confidence when Dean Henderson's in goal. But I think while David De Gea is a better goalkeeper... There's definitely evidence to say that offence is more settled when he's been in the net. Oh, no, look, Dean Henderson obviously brings fantastic attributes to the team, especially the, the way you mentioned in terms of that, maybe that relationship between the back four. But we go back to my initial point in terms of the team sheet for the Europa League final. And I'll just throw it to you then quickly. You, and you have to take into context, okay, take out the sentiment, but Dean Henderson has been picked on sentiment against Sheffield United earlier this season. And I just look at it and say Dean Henderson is the number one keeper for next year, which means David De Gea's future is away from Old Trafford. You're selecting the team. Are you picking David De Gea as a bit of a swan song? Well, if you're picking the... Well, all right, I'll tell you what, Tom. Let me put it to you this way. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has clearly decided Dean Henderson is his number one goalkeeper. So if that's the case, Dean Henderson should be starting in the Europa League final. I think both goalkeepers are great. I agree with the sentiment, you know, while the, you know, we say the sentiment doesn't have a place in football, blah, blah, blah. There is a place for sentiment in football. I think David De Gea will start the Europa League final. Um, and I think that's almost a, a, a respect, a sign of respect from Solskjaer to De Gea, given he's a loyal servant. He's likely going to leave the club at the end of this season. But for me, if you've clearly decided Henderson's your number one, which he clearly has, then you go with your stronger side. And that means you place Henderson in between the net. But the last time... And look, I, I can't disagree with what you're saying, but you look at the last time we were successful in this tournament in the Europa League, David De Gea was our number one goalkeeper. Sergio Romero helped us get to the Europa League final. Sergio Romero played in the Europa League final. I think the... Take your point. I think it's a little bit of a different situation where Romero was the clear number two, but there was an acknowledgement that he was the cup goalkeeper. But look, I think we could debate this forever. I think we'll just have to agree to disagree, but we'll see who's in that come Europa League final day. Yeah, we'll tune into the next podcast where I'm probably calling for Dean Henderson to start. But um, we'll go on quickly just to wrap up the podcast. We'll sort of intertwine these two topics um, together, sort of the Glazers Out protest or the preparations for the Glazers Out protest. I'm sure everyone has seen the images Outside Old Trafford, it looks like a prison or a war zone, and um, ahead of the Liverpool match. So we'll quickly just start on that um, sort of the preparation for the protest. Obviously, we saw the scenes for that first one against Liverpool, which got the match postponed. Mm. The club just simply weren't prepared. Um, kind of ironic in terms of the way what we're protesting against, in terms of how unprepared we are going into transfer windows, in terms of under the Glazer ownership, etc. But now we are fully, pre- or the, the sorry, the club is fully prepared for this second protest against Liverpool. Mm. There's something about it for me. I just don't see it having the same impact. I, I and it's not a down to the club being prepared. I just don't see the sort of not the passion, but the the momentum behind this protest. I can see thousands of people showing up, but it won't have the the same impact as that first one. I don't think. What are your thoughts? 
The first time you walk in Old Trafford, your blood's rushing with excitement. Your your adrenaline's pumping. You know you can't. You're like a kid in in Wonderland. You 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 feel like you're living your best dream. You go to Old Trafford the second time. The excitement's there, but not quite like the first. You go the third time. The novelty's starting to wear off. I think it's the same thing with this protest. The first time is always the best. I I don't think. Well, I, I, I no doubt the passion will still be there. The intent will still be there. I don't think you're going to get anything near what we saw um, a few weeks ago. Now, well, what do you think of the sort of symbolism of what they are doing outside Old Trafford in terms of Joel Glazer put out a letter? Well, sorry, Joel Glazer didn't put out the letter. His PR team put out a letter and sort of signed his name on the bottom saying he would communicate better with the fans, and then mm. a week later, it's literally closing up shop and putting a barricade in between the fans and, and the fans' home. Oh, look, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Um, I, I agree with what happened at the protests, but if you're the owners, you can't have a repeat of what happened. It, it, yeah. was, it was an embarrassment for them. So they have to take the measures they need to to ensure the football match goes ahead. Um, so, you know... Again, devil's advocate perspective, I, I I can understand why they've done that. Yeah, oh no, I'm just saying it from a, a symbolic point of view in terms of it's quite sad seeing those big barriers up in front of Old Trafford. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, I, you know, it, it's disappointing that, you know, we have to look at the context of why we've gotten there, but, yeah. you know, it is what it is, time, unfortunately. Well, on to the football and look, fingers, well, I know the idea of this protest is to stop the game again. But look, from a football point of view, we would like to see the game go ahead. Mm-hmm. Obviously against Liverpool, huge game. It'll be interesting how it plays out. Just quickly, do you think it will be, obviously Harry Maguire aside, the team he picks against Liverpool will be his team for the Europa League final? No. I think I think David De Gea will start the Europa League final. I think Henderson will start against Liverpool. Um, and I could see... Oh, it's a hard one. When's Anthony Martial due back? Yeah, it'd be interesting. I know he's in and around training. Um, so look, it's only two days after the Leicester match, so if he was not ready for the Leicester match, you can't see him being ready for this one. Oh, but, it's um, possible. I don't know, man. I think it'll be pretty close to it. Um, and I think, yeah, I think all but David De Gea will be the starting eleven. Oh, well, in saying that, I think Maguire will be past fit for the Europa League final. Yeah, well, fingers crossed. I haven't seen too much on the Maguire news. I know he's had a scan, etc. It's ligament damage. Um, and Solskjaer said he, he's hopeful he'll actually be back prior to the Europa League final. So he might actually get a game in. So we'll see how we go. But it sounds like he'll be fit. So if you listened to our debate earlier, I'm sorry for wasting five minutes of your time. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, very interesting. And yeah, glad to see Harry Maguire is finally getting a little bit of credit. Unfortunately, it's come off the back of an injury. But, um, yeah, we will be back on Friday to discuss the Liverpool match, if it goes ahead, obviously. Um, Paul definitely will be back, um, back after that match, because if it doesn't go ahead, I'm sure there'll be huge talking points to discuss. So, um, Larry, it is very good to chat again. Um, shame we didn't get to chat on Monday, but um, for anyone in Sydney on Monday knows um, very much the reasons for that podcast not going ahead. What a long day that was. Oh, I think um, the least we speak about it, the better. Yeah. One but, man um, stopped Sydney. Um, for anyone <laughs> not in Sydney, one man literally stopped Sydney trains from operating for the rest of the night. It was actually ridiculous. 
Yeah, no, unbelievable. And one man was literally just standing there. He wasn't doing anything, just standing there. And it stopped. Sydney just shut down. You just standing next to a train track. Sydney shut down completely for hours and hours. But um, it was very enjoyable to see you and watch the movie with the Man United Supporters Club here in Sydney. And we will be back on Friday to hopefully discuss that Liverpool match and sort of confirming uh, Liverpool into the Europa League because um, I have missed out on Champions League football this season which is very enjoyable, and they sort of enter that category of David Moyes' um, season as probably the worst champions in Premier League history. Hopefully we can remove that tag and pass it on to Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool team, um, who would be a sort of an icing on the cake if we do win the Europa League. But um, hopefully everyone enjoy the podcast, and obviously make sure you're subscribed on your podcast app, so it just downloads automatically onto your phone, and we really appreciate all the interactions on our social media, so please keep that up. It keeps Larry and I busy throughout the day when we get onto our phone. And we'll chat to you on Friday, Larry. Yep, cheers, mate. Looking forward to it. Mm-hmm.